that. Yeah. Hey, Paul, how are you? I'm good, Peter. How are you, my friend? Very, very good. Hey, I'm really excited to be here for our second bi-monthly core talks, uh, which really is all about empowering private capital markets from the issuers to the investors to the intermediaries that make it happen, all while utilizing the JOBS Act and Regulation CF and Reg A+. Today's topic has taken about 15 years to become pretty mainstream, uh, and it revolves around the rise of ESGs. Um, my co-host today is Paul Carlson Willis from Invest Justly. And uh, Paul's a veteran in the in capital market industry with 20 years experience. So I'm really excited to get your insights, Paul. And uh, Invest Justly, your name kind of says it all, I think a little bit on the topic that we're gonna be jumping into. Um, so I'm gonna kind of turn it over to you. Today's just gonna be a real go back and forth and let's, uh, let's talk about ESGs and maybe we can discuss a little bit more about uh, the definition, what it means and the evolution of it. How does that say, sound for you? Sounds, sounds great, Peter. And again, thank you very much for uh, hosting us and, and putting this together. Um, as you said, ESG has been around now for probably 15, maybe even 20 years. Um, in various forms and in various uh, ways people have looked at it. Um, but the investors over the last 10 years, as, as, as you know, have really started pushing towards um, re-looking at what values are and how you evaluate a company. In the old days, it used to be risk and return. Mm -hmm. Now it's risk, return, impact. And that impact is in the E on the environmental side, S on the social side, and, and G for governance. And um, I think we're seeing more and more of a push in that. There's more and more companies out there, nonprofits, like As You So, like mm -hmm. B Corp Labs, or B Labs, should I say, um, that are evaluating and finding criteria uh, to actually uh, evaluate these companies. Uh, now, and I think that's the exciting thing that we're slowly getting into that position to be able to put criteria and evaluation around around these companies. Hey, so you, you know, you talk about um, the environmental aspect of it. I mean, I've got family, we've got, I've got kids, and we we hear about um, certainly my 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 kids and my daughter in, in university. I mean, they talk about it all the time. They, they talk about, you know, social impact. They talk about the environment at large. What do you think's really changed? Because institutional investors were, you know, back in 2007, they were talking about it. Where do you think it was driven from? Do you think it was driven from top down or do you think it was driven from uh, the crowd and the Internet and communication at large? What's what's your take on that? I think it's, it's, it's actually come from the investors. It's come from uh, a new wave of investors call them millennials, um, they, they have a different take on, on how companies should be run and, and value. Um, as I say, the risk return and now impact. In the old days when, you know, you and I were coming up through the business, it was always money, money, money. What is the return? Mm -hmm. How much money is this company going to make? How much profit? How much more profit can we get out of this? And I think the over the last 10 years, you've seen a change that yes, you can still make a profit, but is there ways that you can make a social impact? Is there a way that we can protect the planet, help society in various ways? Um, so I think there's been a huge push coming from that generation. No, I, no I, I agree with you. I mean, I don't even know if it's just that generation. I think the general awareness of, you know, even our generation, I mean, we're a little bit, I'm, a little bit older than not in certainly not in university anymore but but just that i see investments as you do every single day or potential investments because of the, the business that we're in and new companies coming to uh presenting i mean you know and and they they tout themselves as esgs but i think the new startups are actually esgs in the sense that they're building their businesses around you know the environment around the social social side of things and governance you know right from inception and do you think they've got a leg up as far as um that their ability to not have any legacy or infrastructure systems let's say a large corporation has and maybe we equate it to let's look at an old automobile you know traditional automobile manufacturer versus a tesla for per se mm -hmm. you know, 
Um, Tesla started with a mission, a vision from the ground up and and an environmental message and seemed, you know, everybody knows that they're leading the space. Um, what's your thoughts in that direction? Do you think it's easier to start, easier for a startup or is it hard? It, it's, it's, it's easier for a startup um, because again, you know, if you look at a corporation that's been around a hundred years, um, 50 years, they they have a culture they have a practice <clears throat> and so you're now asking that organization as a whole to rethink a lot of the things that they've been doing for decades mm -hmm. um whereas you see these new young private equity companies coming up these new businesses they're already using the esg elements you know the governance and uh, the social about making sure they look after employees, the salary, it's already embedded in their culture as they grow, mm -hmm. um, which is a lot easier. And, you know, I kind of look at it from my old days as a soccer coach, getting a team at, at 14 years old, they already had bad habits, right? You had to change their mindset sure. to, to do. And when, when push come to shove, they would always go back to bad habits. It was just a natural instinct. When I got a team when they were six years old, then that was so much better because I could get them to do what I, how I perceived the game should be played. And therefore, mm -hmm. it was so much easier because their first natural instinct was the first things that they've been taught by me as a coach. Yeah. And I wasn't having to go back and re-educate. Uh, and rechange that and get them the confidence to make that change. And I think that's the other key thing. A lot of companies want to make that change, but will it affect my profits? Is it really, is it really something that I should be doing? Or is this just a, a buzzword right now? Is this something that's just fashionable and will it go away in five, 10, mm -hmm. 15 years? So you have all of those questions going on in these organizations that have been around a long time. But that being said, that being mm -hmm. said, you mentioned Tesla. The other day, I, I saw all of these car ads. Every car ad was EV. It didn't matter if yeah. it was General Motors, Toyota, whoever it was. Everyone's selling EV now. And so that's interesting. I think, again, these companies have seen that's where, that's where the consumer has gone. This is what the people want. And therefore, they have met that demand and yeah. made sure they're moving in that direction. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you hit on so many different things in that. I mean, you, you talk about the kids, you talk about how, how, how much easier it is to, uh, and it's so much more fun. I mean, you know, sharing with the, with the young kids and, and, you know, but I think there is, I think there's a relevant point there when it comes to new companies that are starting up because they, the, the CEOs and these founders and, and these principled visionaries that are looking at, you know, the environmental impact, looking at the social impact and the government side of it, all of those things that ESG are all about. But do you think one of the things that I've seen recently and we'll, we'll touch on where crowdfunding and private equity comes into play a little bit later on. But one of the things I've seen, you mentioned EV spaces. I cannot believe how many new electric vehicle and battery related companies and private companies that are starting up and presenting their niches maybe they're not all saying i want to be a trillion dollar company but heck there's nothing wrong with being a billion dollar private company and and and, and is there that space for more of those niches and i think from some of the real exciting new initiatives and advancements that i'm seeing i mean when i see these presentations i mean it's as a, as an entrepreneur and at the same time as a it's just darn cool. I mean, at the end of the day, I just see, you know, from flying aircraft to this, that, and the other thing. Um, and I don't think there's going to be one player. I mean, I mean, historically, I was, I had concerns that, you know, the market's going to be all gobbled up by the um, large, large corporations that just keep consuming. And, and we certainly see that in the public marketplace. Um, I'm hoping anyway, I, I think the new private capital market opportunities with regulation CF and regulation A, A plus start that journey where, where companies don't have to become th these big Goliaths, you know, mm -hmm. that, that own everything. And can you have a lot of niche, you know, companies and what's your thinking of that? Like, I mean, I are, is there room for lots and lots of 
billion dollar private companies. I, th I think there is to start with. I think if, if we look at technology and, and, and the way um, industry as a whole uh, moves forward, normally when there's new ideas, there's a lot of new ideas out there and a lot of companies doing them. And then over a period of time, they start merging and, and start growing. Um, right now, we're in that learning phase, right? I mean, you look at Ideonomics, for instance, that owns Jessely. Um, you know, they have Italian motorbikes, they have um, um, tractors, they have mopeds out of Malaysia, they have two or three different uh, systems to power those, those vehicles. And the idea is it's an ecosystem. They mm -hmm. share information, they help each other grow and, and produce a better product and also be a little bit more flexible in, in, in doing so. And so I, I think you're going to see a lot more of that. You're going to see a lot more uh, people come up with different power solutions. And we've got a few companies that we're dealing with coming to our platform or already on our platform. And they all have different solutions to being able to basically the, you and I to be able to buy an EV car and not sit around for two hours waiting for it to charge so I can go another 150 miles, right? Mm -hmm. So all of these things are going to, have to happen because again if ev is really going to take off then you need power solutions you need good power solutions you know one of the things ideonomics has is wave which is actually in the road so a bus can stop on it when it drops people off and charge at the same time right so solutions like that are amazing and that's where the industry is going to go but there is going to be a lot of companies coming out with those amazing ideas and I think that's what's so good about the Jobs Act, which is 10 years old now, the mm -hmm. crowdfunding, the reggae. These companies are going to get the opportunity to raise money. And secondly, individuals that would not normally have had access to private equity now do. So the normal investor in the street can invest in these companies as they start and be able to grow with them and be passionate about them um, because it's again doing having that impact and that social awareness that these these investors want these days and that i think that's i mean i mean you're one of the many companies that are that are focused on uh, the environmental space you, uh, you and ideonomics and justly more so than, than than many and so obviously there's more than what i would say an appetite there's a large investment community um i think the public at large is looking at the esg and saying hey you know, we got to do things about this planet. And, and I'm and, and I am anticipating that you just mentioned there's a lot of different technologies that are coming to play and different ideas. And does it have to be a, a winner take all, you know, mindset? Does it will there be? Oh, they've got a great charging platform for the home. They've got a great charging platform for um, um, for say that you talk about buses, say for uh commercial vehicles where you know schools they got their own own bus platforms built into uh um you know centralized depots for for school buses does that have to be the same as what's going on in in another space um can you have a lot of more community-based businesses you know maybe large that are getting built out um we're seeing things or i've certainly seen, seen some things that where small communities that say you know how do we bring how do we bring vertical farming to a community right and you know very esg related you know from an environmental impact but do you do that at a micro level i mean you know we live in this global economy and 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 other companies that i talk to on the large infrastructure side of the equation they go well you know the biggest problem is containers are going being shipped around the world empty to go back from a location because of whatever the you know different logistical you know issues and what if, and, and now you get these, you know, bright, bright minds that are combining technologies and saying, hey, let's do an eco farm. Let's let's put it in. Right. And it doesn't have to be that big. It's going to it's going to service a community of, you know, a half a million people, for example, mm -hmm. or it's going to be in a remote location and they can have fresh produce and vegetables. Those things to me are inspiring. I mean, I really get excited because because it touches, you know, the small communities in their backyard. It's not right. just I'm, I'm buying something 
you know, on the web and it's being shipped and produced overseas or wherever that may be. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's all part of the infrastructure. It's all part of where, you know, the supply chains that we live in. But just the belief that the opportunities for those small companies to say, hey, I need to raise, you know, we're going to dovetail into, I need to raise, you know, a million dollars, $5 million to do a test of this, to get it off the ground. Um, maybe we can just touch on something that you and I know and, and are pretty fond about is back to the regulations that were discussed, you know, you know, a couple of weeks back with David yep. Wheel and Oscar Joffrey was, and a lot of people, a lot of our viewers and listeners may not know, they say, you know, okay, I've heard about these regulations again. I, I think it's always important to, to, to bring them back to the, to the surface. And so uh, Reg CF, for example, um, they've upped the limits. You can, uh, private companies can now raise up to $5 million from a not accredited investor and from the accredited investors. It's, it's far less onerous as far mm -hmm. as their ability to invest. Um, from your standpoint, and, you, and you're doing offerings in both CF up to $5 million and, and Reg A up to $75 million, um, the, uh, the average investor, you know, from that perspective where you've got thousands of individual investors investing in, in an impact project that they believe in, um, what are the average investments? What are you finding right now? And I know what our holistic numbers are. I'm just seeing what your experience has been. Well, yeah, it, it's, it's, um, right now, I mean, certainly when you get into crowdfunding, it, it's probably around the, the 500 mark. Um, again, you know, on the reggae side, I think that's, that does come in higher. Um, you know, you, you're looking at 1500. The interesting thing with, with, uh, reggae, um, is that because these companies are coming in looking for such a large raise, um, certainly if they're in the 50 and the 75 million mark, they're actually looking for us to reach out to more of the institutional client base. So they're looking for us to reach out to the family offices, mm -hmm. uh, the VCs, uh, the wealth managers. Um, and we have a team of four investment bankers uh, as part of Justly who do just that um, and, and get out there. But when it comes to um, when it comes to the CF side, it's definitely more around the five, 500 is, is probably the average uh, that we're seeing. And again, it depends on the product, right? It depends on the company. Sure. And, and so sure. how passionate someone can feel about it. And the fact um, that the issuers get to set their amounts. I mean, the right. issuer is saying, you know, what are the minimum amounts? A lot of it depends on, on their offering and a lot of it depends on, um, are those investors actually more than just my fans? They're my brand advocates. They're my mm -hmm. evangelists. They're my customer base. Yep. So there's a dramatic, I think there's quite a bit, uh, a different messaging and a different story that's going on now where, where say it used to be, oh, I want is, I want a handful of investors and give me a lot of money. Forget the fact that they might be yielding a big stick over my head to say, right. you know, are you executing on something? Yep. And, and, and the mindset of having tens of thousands of share small investors was at, it wasn't that long ago when people said, why do I want 10,000 shareholders? Why do I want a million shareholders in a private company? Oh, that's going to affect the institutionals. That's going to affect somebody else. And it honestly never made a whole lot of sense to me. And I, and right. I mean that. Yeah, I mean, there was friction points before that it was hard to manage large volumes mm -hmm. of investors. Technology takes that all away. That's right. that, that, that's gone. It's almost like to me, and, I, and, and I'm not trying to be naive in this thinking, but I think the future says that if I'm a public company right now and I go, well, we don't want you to have a million shareholders on your cap table in a public, public company. Well, people would kind of, what do you mean? Why not? I want lots of shareholders right. in my public company. Yeah. So if the technology is there and the desire is there and the will's there, why would I not want the same thing in private? I agree. Companies? I agree. And, and I hate the whole idea of democratizing capital would let well, everybody should participate. Yeah, that's what we well, have the opportunity, about, right? The Jobs Act was about letting every individual investor get on that cap table and invest in a company where they feel they have skin in the game and they have a say. And, you know, when you start talking again about ESG and impact investing, that becomes even more important because people want to be involved. I mean, you have companies out there like John's Crazy Socks, um, started by a parent for his son who has Down syndrome. They, they employ over 50% um, of their people have different abilities. Um, 
And so people want to invest in John's crazy socks because they want to see that impact. They want to see those people with differing abilities get jobs. And they can do that by not just investing in the company, but then also buying the socks and sending them to friends as gifts for Christmas and so forth. They really feel like they're part of that company. And I think that's the change that's come. That's the change that's come through ESG and impact investing is people want to know when they invest in a company, they're not just making a profit. They are doing good in some way or making an impact, be it environmental or socially. They want that. And, and as I say, the criteria that's coming along and the ability to evaluate that is the key element now in really truly moving that forward well yeah i think i think you summarized it i mean it's more than the, you know the maximum maximum financial return that the investors are looking for it's going how much do i need to make on this i mean mm-hmm. we have enough things out there that allow us hey i want to gamble you can go do sports betting right now and you want to hit out of the park you can go into the crypto space and potentially hit a those vehicles exist Right. I mean, this is at the other side of the other side of the ledger, so to speak, when I say impact investing and the reason the institutions, they're allocating X amount of funds to to impact investing. And I think more importantly, it's becoming um, the risk is becoming minimized. The risk is minimized because it's making good business sense for a lot of these companies. It's it just takes a while for some of those industries. And unfortunately, a lot of a lot of the early entrepreneurs have to pave the way for the next entrepreneur. You know, when we come to things like, we keep, you know, we touch on battery, you know, whether it's battery technology or whether it's somebody that says individuals in my community can contribute amazing things and, and they can be, they can participate w- wherever they're from. And those can be financially successful companies to build. These aren't just benevolent, you know, endeavors. So, so I think it's, uh, Again, when I hear these stories from different companies, that, that is truly the most exciting. And any any entrepreneur out there, understand that these 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 regulations they're meant for you. Mm-hmm. And I'm passionate about this because I, I'm, we're seeing companies that had had no chance. They said, you right. know what? I got it off the ground. I got on first base. I got on a second base. Now I'm you know I'm now I'm doing significantly larger raises. And now the institutional investors are taking a hard look at me. They didn't want to start, and I'm not, hey, I'm not negating that, but let's be honest, a little bit risk averse for early on. So this just, you know, evens a playing field for that individual entrepreneur to at least control their destiny and their journey as far as they want to, and then let other um, parts of the investment community invest. So there's different, you know, different yep. stages, different tranches, and. Yeah, and there's there's good. I mean, there's a there's a company in the UK called Elvis and Crease, um, and what they do is make purses and wallets, and they make them out of old fire hose and old leather. These are all scraps. Basically, since two thousand and five, a hundred and seventy five tons of discarded fire hose they have turned into wallets and purse purses. Wow, right. Um, they still make a profit. Actually, they give 50% of their profits also to charity. But they're still a profitable company, and they are still doing well. So why wouldn't you want to invest in a company like that that is making the world a better place, right, and taking stuff that we just naturally throw away and turn it into a very, very good product? It's not a, it's, it's a great product. Instead of buying another company that makes purses and so forth that is basically not doing anything really to help the environment and, 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 and social and governance, right? And that's the change. It can be done. And there's a lot of companies out there showing that way. And what's new, and you, you touched on this earlier with, with the, new, the new companies that are coming around, right? And is it easier for them to do ESG and, and do that governance and, and so forth? One of the reasons it's easier for them is they're approaching business in a different way. They're looking to see where the issues are and how can I change that? So Elvis and Chris were the same thing. Okay, I want to make purses and wallets. How can I do that a different way? 
well, mm. there's all this waste over here that we can actually repackage and turn it into a really, really good product. So it was a solution to a problem. And that's what's happening with a lot of these new businesses. They're actually looking at it that way. What is not working? Um, and there's many, many examples of that out there. If, if you truly look into it and dig around and, and as I say, Justly's been going eight months, right? We're an impact broker dealer where we are truly going to make a difference. Um, that's why we're here. And as the more and more we dig into this, the more and more we look at it and we learn, um, it is amazing what can be done uh, and what companies are doing out there. And as I say, the narrative is now changing towards this and impact being the key element uh, of that. People really want to start measuring that from the companies they invest in. And I, and I, and I, no, and I, 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 I agree with that. And I think you touched on something that I think makes a lot of sense to me is you've got a lot of startups. They're looking to solve problems. And a lot of them might find solutions to part of their problem to, to let's say, in the manufacturing sector from another startup that said, we need to recycle rubber in a different way. And there's not some big Goliath out there that's saying, we're going to jump into the recycling business. Someone's going, it's that small company that says, we're going to do this. And that may, who is our customer base? Oh, we're looking at, as you said, the purse manufacturer that only wants this. So, so the supply chain starts, I think, start to evolve, you know, even at a, at a very nascent stage, but they start to these, I think these small private companies that are ESG focused, they start to coalesce. I yep. mean, right now the current infrastructure is, is been okay. Let's, what are we doing from top down? You know, and I mean, we've all talked, you heard about over the years, I think it's improved dramatically, but, mm -hmm. but the whole idea of greenwashing and whitewashing and whatever we're washing just to be the, the, the word of the day to be environmentally friendly or, to, you know, or things like child labor, for example, in certain manufacturing yeah. facilities, let's be honest, it's been around for a long, long time. Why did, why did it not change? You know, why is it taking so long to change? We know about these things. At the end of the day, it's we turn a blind eye and we look at to see what the, what the return on the investment is until people start to realize that I can make a good return on my investment in um, environmentally friendly companies, in better corporate governments from a perspective mm -hmm. of looking after, you know, what, what are the labor issues that we're dealing with? And, and, and for those in the audience, when we start to drill down and say things like, you know, the term, you know, the environment, well, what does that really mean? Like the companies that are dealing with these things, is it, um, is it resource depletion? Is it, um, uh, is it greenhouse gas emissions was, you know, the biggest one on the topic. Is it plastic waste? All of these things, you know, they're real. And I think, and, and they resonate, you know, with a lot of people and, and there are companies that want to help solve those. But I really, really believe it's going to be the tens of thousands of companies in the private marketplace. Yep that are going to make those changes. And, and I, and, and hey, you've been in the capital markets for a long time. I don't think a lot of people are surprised. There's significantly more money being raised in the private marketplace than the public marketplace, which is declining. Right. It's declining when you look at the number of companies listed on the, on the public on the public stock exchanges. Why? Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, right, there's no need now for these private companies to go and become listed. Um, in the old days, that was it, right? You start a business and as quickly as you could, you wanted to IPO and, and get listed on the exchange. Now the private private side of the business is like, well, do I really want to be in that space? Do I really want to be listed? Do I really want to be governed a little more than I am being a, a private uh, company? And, and I think the answer is no. And the original idea was being listed enabled you to grow and be bigger. And I think we've found over the last 10 years that that hasn't been the case. Um, and again, the, the, the private sector to the listed, you know, when we, again, you touched on the E element, which you, you had down pat there, um, that's getting better to evaluate. Governance is pretty easy to evaluate especially of a, of a listed company, because a lot of it is around their political contributions, their lobbying, executive compensation, bribery, corruption, how the board's made up. I mean, that's that. a whole other conversation, right? When you talk right. about that, that, that gets into the political realm of, 
geez, what's the function of lobbyists when pros and cons? I mean, right. there's, there's a big con but, there too. But that's easy to capture as far as being able to measure, right? For a listed company and also for a private company uh, to a certain extent. The hardest thing when you start looking at the criteria in, the, in a private equity company comp compared to a listed is getting being able to get the data you require from a private equity company to be able to gauge their impact, right, and evaluate their impact. And one of the things that we've done at Justly is we've, uh, and there'll be an announcement hopefully in the next week or two, we've teamed up with a company called uh, Proof of Impact. And mm -hmm. Proof of Impact are uh, solely work with private equity companies to okay. be able to evaluate what they're doing and how to give them a form of ranking um, on where they stand as far as uh, ESG or, or, or impact. Um, because we as, as Justly believe that anyone coming onto our platform that we are going to say is an ESG slash impact company, it needs to be evaluated and, and it needs to be evaluated by a, a, an independent group. Um, so again, that's why we've kind of moved into to that direction because we believe it needs to be independent. There's too many that's, people out there that criteria, uh, which goes to your greenwashing and, and so forth. So, again, you know, hopefully anyone who's listening to this is aware of people of like, as you sow, uh, just capital, two nonprofit groups out there that do a lot of work, a lot of work at evaluating companies that are listed. Um, and it's important if you really care about impact and you care about ESG, you should be following those uh, those two uh, groups because they do a lot of very very good work around this space. No, I think uh, we're talking about um, um, government the governance side of it, and it just got me thinking about and a little bit. Of, I don't think it's out there. So private capital is being raised in the public. The marketing is all done, you know, to the to the individual investors out there social media is certainly big from a, an awareness campaign about the individual companies and, and maybe we can segue mm -hmm. into that a little bit on how successful companies are raising capital and and all the key stakeholders that they need and, and on the esg and, and there's some discussions i've had with some individuals and firms where they've got some pitfalls but on the governance side of it that got me thinking was what do you th what's your take on just the the crowd at large, social media at large. I'm a private company, and I we know some private companies today, and people are shocked when they hear this. Private companies with over a million shareholders on the cap table, over a million shareholders. You're a private company because you can manage it from a tech perspective. But here's the other side of that: you also have social media that helps to keep these companies honest. They can be an evangelist or they can be detractor of your firm if you're not doing the right things, especially in the ESG space. So I think you can be called out quicker, faster, easier. So I think there's that just the global community that does impact governance from that perspective as well in a private in a private company. So I don't think the idea is to say I'm a private company, I can hide, you know what I mean? No. Um, because you because again, if you've got your customer base and they don't like what you're doing, saying, communicating, one, they're not gonna continue helping you grow. And that's the, the interesting, when I say continue to help you grow, is the amount of reinvesting from existing shareholders in private companies was extremely surprising to me until we looked at the data. Yeah, And, and I go, wow, now I've seen companies that go 70% of their shareholders reinvested through multiple rounds, transitioning from say a reg cf to a reg a and companies are using these vehicles that need to raise a lot of capital and in the esg world a lot of it's infrastructure capital yep. and those guys i mean that's a long time journey i mean you're so if you're dealing with infrastructure and that wasn't really heard of before i mean to say again a private investor outside of the bond world for example but private investors small investors saying oh i want to I want to invest in this firm that's building something in, in my community, then maybe it'll be, they'll be able to mo have multiples of it in multiple communities. Mm -hmm. But as they're doing that, they're reinvesting when they see the progress. Right. And, and that's, and that's, 
that's compelling. It's not just like a one time I'm done and I'm going to hold on to it for 50 years. They're reinvesting because it may be 50 years. And I think a lot of people aren't aware that one of the biggest changes in the private market is, hey, I've got a lot of old share, share certificates that sit in my bottom of my drawer. And I go every once in a while, you pull them up and you think maybe I can go on the Internet and see whatever happened to this firm. But but today, right now, that the uh, that ability to have some liquidity is starting is, is existing. And that's the other side of those regulations. Yeah, I think I think there's two aspects to what you were saying there. Uh, the first one, I think, you know, I remember reading a, a sales book many years ago called Raving Fans. And that's the key element, right, of any business is that you have the people that follow you. They love what you do. They're the ones who sell you better than anybody else. And so when you have investors that are happy who are continually buying into your company, they're also spreading a good word about you. So I think that's the key element. And again, like we said, when it comes to private equity, in a lot of cases, it isn't always about profit. It, it is the impact element. So there is that emotional attachment more. So I think in, in as we're talking about ESG, there's more emotional attachment to those companies. And therefore, if you're doing the right thing by the investor, the investor is going to be a raving fan and, and, and speak to that. The other aspect that you were just touching on and, and how the private equity market is going to grow, and, and you know more than anyone from your position at Colconex to have seen how quickly this has taken off over the last 10 years, is ATSs, the secondary market coming in to private equity that will then bring liquidity. Um, so people will be more at the moment, as you know, with private equity, you buy it, you keep it until they either get bought by someone or hopefully they become an IPO, right? Mm -hmm. If you start, if you start bringing in these ATSs and there's a few around now where the investor is able to get out or even buy more shares, that then becomes even more interesting to the investor. And again, we talked about risk uh, and uh, return. Part of the risk in private equities is you can't get out. Those ATSs will change that. And that, that will be the next movement in this space. And it's something, again, Justly is looking at doing and hopefully having in place uh, before the end of the year. Yeah, I, um, you know, we, we we mentioned liquidity and I'm looking over here because there's some individuals who are making some comments in the chat that maybe I'll try to jump in and, and try to read and talk at the same time, but I'm not very good at that. I'm not one of those guys that multitask. I think there's a fallacy to that, but some people may be. But, but um, on that impact side of it, though, as far as that uh, the investors go, it, it, it is that coffee table talk. It's when you see progress. And I think when you see progress in a community where somebody might be, you know, you they may be a company that's using recycled materials to build playgrounds and they make that announcement and somebody says, hey, you know what, I invested in that company and they're building playgrounds all around the world and they happen to be using recycled rubber for these playgrounds or they, they're doing something, you know, from an impact perspective that, that they resonate with. And they go, you invest in that? Can I invest in that? That's the groundswell. You mentioned mm -hmm. say what's, what companies like Core have seen and the Jobs Act has evolved for the 10 years. Yeah, it's one of these... 10 year overnight awareness things and it hasn't been for the last two years and COVID was a big impetus for that where people were sitting at home and said I didn't know I could invest in that heck I didn't know until I saw a number of companies that that we get introduced to and uh, through it's whether it's through education or whether it's through actually they're saying hey how do I make this happen I didn't know that any of these companies existed. And at the end of the day, it's building and building and building. And it's and it's it is the funding portals that exist. It is the broker dealers that exist. It is the investor acquisition firms that exist. I mention all of these intermediaries because one of the questions that comes up when when any any company, not just ESG space, they're going, how do I make this happen? How do I how do I participate? Mm -hmm. Well, you need teams. I mean, at the end yep. of the day, I mean, you know, you need and, and there's specialists that are emerging in in reggae and reg CF offerings. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I relate it to much like 
my, my family doctor. My family doctor sends me to a specialist. My lawyer sends me to a specialist. My tax, my accountant sends me to a specialist when it comes to certain things. And I think issuers have to look at it that way. Um, the technology is streamlining things. The awareness is getting better for these things. The awareness and the desire from the general public, again, in the ESG space, is, is saying they're asking the questions. They're right. saying, okay, what are you guys, what are you, what are you doing be, beyond just making me, making me a dollar? And when it comes back to the, you know, liquidity side of it, yeah, let's, hey, let's be candid. The ATS is in their nascent stage, oh, um, yeah. you know, and you need a buyer and a seller for whatever you're doing. But the fact is it never existed before. So right. when I talk about this 10 year journey and all of a sudden the last 24 months, I think there's been like a 400% growth in reggae filings for companies that want to rate private companies, 20 to $75 million, you know, raises, it says something's going on, right? Mm -hmm. so there's the awareness, both at the issuer side, there's an awareness at the public side at the same time. But um, at the end of it, it's, it's the constant education. It's like, it's like doing what you're doing. It's doing what these chats are meant to be. It's yep. just opening that dialogue. Um, gentleman here was just chatting and I, it was, uh, um, we'll hold companies accountable via blockchain. He, okay. Made a comment and it was like, when cheaply made items made by children, we hold accountable, we hold companies accountable via blockchain. So obviously I, I think it was alluding to the fact that blockchain is a piece of technology that has, um, good and bad with it. Mm -hmm. But the brilliant thing about it is that immutable ledger capability to, to manage and track so much different bits of data, whatever, whatever purpose you might have, whether it's managing right. shareholders, whether it's managing um, uh, supply chain related issues, whether it's dealing with contracts, it's just streamlining things. I mean, if some people go, well, if I lose my job, what's, what's the new job? Well, the new job is the new job. And I think we all have to recognize that. In yeah, I mean, changes don't make things, they open up new opportunities. And that's right. the hard part. Yeah, I mean, that you know, touching on various points that, that you had there, I mean, you made me start thinking of when, you know, when I used to work in the business in the UK, and the US went electronic trading. And the, U, the London Stock Exchange floor was no way will London ever go electronic trading. It's, it's just not going to happen. Um, and within five plus years, they were electronic trading and the floor ended up being actually, I think, a, a very nice restaurant. Um, uh, yeah. So, um, so change does happen and, and not everyone embraces it straight away. Um, the ATS is a move in the right direction. It, it, it's not going to go away. It's the same thing. With, you know, loads of people said that you wouldn't have Bitcoin around by now. And Bitcoin is, is still around in various forms of it. Mm -hmm. um, you you know very well with blockchain because you guys use blockchain. And, use blockchain. and I love blockchain. I think blockchain has a lot of opportunities. And, and again, part of it is it's all about money. Again, we touched on this at the very beginning and, and the change of, of mentality. Um, if you look at blockchain, blockchain is the solution is the solution to equity settlement and equity settlement going to zero. It is the solution if people want to embrace it. But if you embrace it, one, it costs money to do so. Two, how many jobs would disappear? How, how would certain companies no longer dominate a space if they give into that? And that's the problem with some of these things. And again, ESG is no different from what we said. When mm -hmm. you've got a company that's been around 50 years and you're asking them to change, the questions in them is, do I leave? Do I lose being number one? Do I lose this? Do I lose this? Is it going to work? That's the problem with any new technology. Um, blockchain is a solution and a very good, very good solution. And I don't think we've even come close to what that truly means down down the road. Yeah, I, I no, I mean, you, yeah, you touched on a lot of different things there. I mean, I think too often we think of anything that's legacy based. It's as it, whether it's the financial markets, whether it's uh, an, a, a small company. It's not a zero sum game. It doesn't necessarily have to mean that 
if I'm in the, if I'm in the coal industry and where are all these employees going to go? I mean, there's big political debates on all that, you know, and there's the, oh, the environmental green guys want to do this. Yeah, there's costs and there, but it's change. Mm -hmm. And, and I look at things really a little bit pragmatically from a perspective of, hey, if I was living in the 1700s and my kids were, had to work, you know, at under 12 years age, and was that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, darn, it's a bad thing. Today, everybody goes, well, that change was good. I think we're going to see the same thing 50, 100 years from now, where people are going to be going, the change that occurred. I can't believe we did that, is what people are right. going to say. It's no different than in the medical community, where people go, oh, my gosh, we seem like we seem so backwards back then. But it was the best that we had. But progress doesn't necessarily mean people are losing their jobs and moving out. And I know that's a big issue when it mm -hmm. The environment and the ESG space, and they—that's—it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, yeah. You, I, I mean, industry as a whole, right? It, and there's there's examples of this uh, everywhere. I mean, my my example I always use is Norton and Triumph motorbikes out of the UK. They were the best motorbikes in the world. They knew they were the best motorbikes. Don't the Harley guys argue on that one? I don't know. Not, not back then. Not back then. <laughs> I'm not a bike guy, so I, I can't. Right. I can't. Not back then. But the Japanese kept coming up with bikes and, and Norton and Triumph were like, they're not nowhere near as good as us. The problem is Norton Triumph did nothing to keep moving that product forward because they were the best and they didn't believe all the other things coming around them were going to impact them. And then what happens is they get in financial trouble and everybody else overtakes them. And, you know, one of the lucky things in my life is I work for Fidelity and, and I had the honor of uh, speaking to Ned Johnson two or three times and working with him on, on various products. Um, and the one thing Ned always believed in was Kaizen. He's a massive, loved Japan, loved the culture. And Kaizen, what Kaizen moves is continually change, just small changes, but continually move forward. And if you do that, you never get left behind. You're always open-minded. And I think that is the key element here. Do you jump into blockchain? I'm not saying everyone should just dump everything and go into blockchain, but blockchain has a lot of value. You should be looking at it. And you well, shouldn't. And that's the difference. The difference going, hey, the old way is the good way, and that's what we're going to do. You need that Kaizen element. You need to always be looking to grow, looking for change, and making sure that you are always relevant. Well, I think I think we know the blockchain is uh, completely. That's a huge conversation in so many different directions. And, a lot and I'm of people, definitely not the right guy to and, have on. All no, that. and a lot of people are just really <laughs> real. There's a lot of misinformation. A lot of people are confused. A lot of people think. Um, blockchain is Bitcoin, blockchain, it's tokens, it's coins. Yeah, th that's a piece of the puzzle. It's, I mean, those are end results of blockchain. That's not what blockchain is. Right. And, uh, and, and, and you're right. At the end of the day, it's all about efficiencies and it's all about improving things. But you hit a really, really good point. And, and, and for those of the, whether they're listeners or just people in general, or just when we're sitting and having coffee table chats with friends that go, well, what about, you know, you hear these, there's two political sides of this and it does, unfortunately, politics does affect the ESG world, you know, at large. So you've got one side going, what about all of these, you know, th those old jobs? What about the miners? What about the gas? What about the coal mines? What are they going to do? And I would just think, you ask anybody, any of those families, you say, do you want your son or daughter doing what you had to do or your grandfather had to do 50 years from now? And they're going to say, well, no, it, it put food on the table and it did these things respectfully. That was a, those are great jobs for your family at the time, but today mm -hmm. going forward, and this is me going on a little bit of philosophical or political tangent, right. but, 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 but today the ability, technology is going to bring those new jobs. It's going to bring those healthier jobs. It's going to bring those for everybody, but it, but there's a lot of friction points along the way. You can't just flick the switch and say, everything's green, windmills are better, this is bad. There's gonna be bumps in the road. Mm -hmm. But but the last hundred years were huge bumps in the road. And it's that continuous improvement, as you just said, from an individual level, I think we as a societal level and as people 
have to say, okay, this is going to affect me a little adversely today. How bad's the pain point? But tomorrow, the next step and the next step and generationally, it will be better because it's gotten better. I mean, there's, so, so I think just having these discussions, I think are extremely important. Yeah, and and I think like you said, it, it it's we we still need coal, right? We still need oil. We're not there yet. But what should be happening, and I think you know we touched on this at the very beginning about private equity coming, private equity companies starting up with new solutions to problems. What I do see happening, and we we've got a couple uh, in the pipeline right now that can work with coal companies and take the coal that's normally just dumped and, and is treated as rubbish, they can turn that into another valuable uh, piece of uh, a commodity, right? So there's a change there. That's a positive change. You're still doing coal. We haven't got rid of coal, but we can make more of what we are currently doing. And when those companies start working together to the solutions that we need further down the road, it's not a big jump. You're not saying, okay, we no longer got coal and all these people are out of work. You're working um, in, a, in a way that is with a focus on making something better. It's again, not a light, it's not a light switch. An element. Just let's, let's know where we want to be in five or 10 years and let's put that in place and then we can re-educate people. Now, right of how to do and this and those doesn't... companies are now part of part of part of the change those right. companies that already exist yeah. um hey i'm a canadian um oil and gas was a big part of where, where i went to school and but those companies are now they're looking at how do we change mm -hmm. how do we evolve they're not going to sit there they don't want to be a dinosaur i mean there's we, we see too many companies that didn't want to change because it was always done that way you know i mean it doesn't even not even the non-environmental you know spaces i mean we look at the kodaks and the blockbusters of the world and said what happened well they didn't want to change because who's going to change this oil and gas coal um, um labor forces that are going on from a manufacturing sector hey if, if somebody says i'm not buying your shoes because because you've been exposed you know from a child labor practice um, that's going to affect your bottom line and your bottom line is going to drive the directions that a company is going to, going to take. So I think that some of the latest data that I heard was from large corporations. It was like, uh, 25 to 30% had like a, a four star rating if they wanted whatever the classifications were for some of the rating agencies that you've talked about. So it, there's a long way to go, but private companies today, I think have a leg up. They have a leg up to be the Newton and I, you know, whether you like it or don't like it, but they have the opportunity to be the new Teslas of the world in their space. You don't have to be a big Tesla, but you can be as big as you want to be and, and, and private capital raises will help do that. And again, I think part of the awareness from the, the crowd and that again, a visual, the ability for individuals to participate and the, the ability for issuers to participate or have some options. Right. Um, I think that's, I think that's the big message. Um, yeah, but I think the, the, the as a broker dealer, I kind of have to throw this in there. Again, the investor has to make sure that they they know what they're investing in, right? They still need to do all the re relevant research on these companies. Um, make sure it's something that uh, they should be invested in um, and and can afford to invest in. But the opportunity is great. Yeah. And, and I think I think you said and can afford to invest in. I think the regulations are there to also the reason there's regulations to help protect the investors. I mean, because, you know, there are limits and caps for the individual investors, um, but they do have choice. Mm. And, and you're right. As a as a broker dealer, which is um, absolutely critical, you know, as far as the intermediaries and the in the ecosystem for these regulations, some regulations, you don't need a broker dealer, I shake my head and I go, you better have a broker dealer, there's there's more to it than you think. Um, you know, go and try to manage KYC for, you know, 10,000 people one afternoon, and you'll see what I'm talking about. But, but um, come back and taking a step backwards and, and looking at, um, yeah, the investor and the messaging is another important step here. So one of the things for issuers out there, you said the investor needs to understand what they're investing in. The, the issuer also has to have a different narrative. 
because I need to be able to speak to you with the amount of reams of data that are out there, with the distractions that are out there. I need to be able to tell my story. So the, people ask me, what are the successful issuers doing? And I said, well, they're hitting their raises. I guess they're successful, but they're hitting their raises because they're not just, they're not selling data. They're not just selling financials. They're not just selling um, the potential to make money. They're telling their story. They're saying, this is where we're at. This is where we'd like to go. This is how you can be part of our journey as an individual investor. And if you're not telling your story, I think you're going to be struggling um, if you're just giving the data. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Um, you, you need to inform and the regulations say, hey, you better, you've got to inform the investors about your investment because you need right. to protect them. But, but with only so many minutes or hours or days in a week that an individual has, they're going to say, what's going to grab my attention? And yeah, and I think I, yeah, and I think that's the key thing when when you start speaking to issuers that are looking at CF Reg A or even Reg D. Um, you know, one of the things that we always tell them is, hey, there's no guarantees here, right? You mm-hmm. may be on our platform, you may be out there, you may be doing your raise. There is no guarantees, and and the key element is exactly what you said. The issuer has a huge role to play in this not just the platforms, not just the broker dealers like ourselves. The issuer has a key role. They have to be out there. They have to have the right message. Now we'll help. As I say, we have an investment banking team. We have a marketing team. Mm-hmm. We'll help with that message, but we can only do so much. The issuer has to have a good message, has to be able to punch above its own weight to get that information out there. And I think that's that's one of the things that some uh, private equity companies don't understand when they come into it. They come in, they have a TA like you, they have a legal group that gives them the form C and the form A, they get past the SEC who say, yep, you're a good company, people can Mm -hmm. invest in you. They get on a platform like ours and then they think that's it. And and it really isn't. Um, There is a lot of work that has to go into this and Again, the ones that are successful, like you said, have a very good message, but they're also out there pushing and pushing and pushing behind the scenes. Yeah, the, 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 sure the vehicles are there, right? I mean, the vehicle, the vehicle is there. You can reach, I don't know how many, what's the the size of the global investment crowd because you can get investments from around the planet. You've got like 2 billion people. Now you got to communicate with them. Right now, you're going to narrow it down, obviously, and depends. But again, the messaging is who want, who's going to hear your voice in the, in the most cost effective manner. Yeah. And and, and, the, and again, with today's conversation was on chat, which I, I thoroughly enjoy. I'm passionate about the, the space. I love this. But in the ESG space, who hears your message best? Mm-hmm. Um, I th- This was, wasn't as specific, but I think it's analogous to the ESG space. I had the opportunity at a, a medical summit a couple weeks back, sitting down with physicians and some physicians that were, on, were entrepreneurial in nature, serial entrepreneurs, they just happened to be physicians, and they were in some high medical tech spaces. And a comment that was said, and I, I bring it up because it's touching the audience that relates to you. And, and the doctor had said to me, he said, you know what I really, really like about this, Peter? He says, my nurses can invest. And I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, I've been doing this for a long time. Besides my practice, and he's a surgeon. He goes, we created all this intellectual property and patented materials and, and we created companies. And my nurses go, um, doctor, how come I can't invest in your companies? And they couldn't invest. Right. And I'm going, so so what is this giving you? And he's saying, well, I have the ability to reach out to one, people that couldn't invest, but two, that understand the impact. So I, I bring this back up because it was the impact. The impact that that physician was going to make in the quality of lives of individuals. And those that knew the impact better than anyone else were those right. that couldn't invest in his company. And it was all the nurses that dealt with it every day. That To me, that's that's when you talk about focus on it. On, on, on your audience yeah and and i think that's the key thing i mean that's again something that that we tell investors all the time certainly on the retail side is you know invest in what you know right so that would be the nurses right invest in stuff that's in the medical field that you know you know if it's going to be good bad use 
right? And now, like you say, because of the Jobs Act, they have that opportunity, which is great. And also invest in stuff that you're passionate about. When if you're normally passionate about something, you already have done your research, you know about it. Um, but that example you gave is is perfect for what crowdfunding and the Jobs Act was really trying to do is is get people, uh, the, the normal investor being able to invest in opportunities that very only a select few would used to be able to get into. And impact related. So on that yeah. note, I think we're at the top of the hour. It's a pleasure, Paul. Um, core talks are gonna continue every few months. I hope that we can have another chat like this. And, uh, yeah. and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, Thank you very much, Peter. Any closing, any closing thoughts to, uh, you know, I, I think I think you know the, the, what I would leave with anyone with ESG is is you know it's it's going to change, right? And it's it's not a perfect world right now. More and more criteria is coming in. More and more companies are coming in and and looking at the criteria and being able to evaluate it. Um, and and that's what you need to do if 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 you're getting into this space in the impact investing space, do a little bit more research. Make sure you use the tools out there. Make sure you're using the the proof of uh, proof of impact or uh, as you so just capital. Use that information because there's a lot of companies out there that can help guide you and and give you detailed information. Starts with starts with education. It On really that does. note, I will let you go. And uh, again, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much. Excellent. Paul. Thanks, Peter. Bye bye. Bye.